Welcome to our weekly, that means weekly Wednesday night year. Welcome to whoever you're listening, any part of the world, United States, etc. First year, in the three weeks, Tavshinayin Dalit. A three weeks from Shivasa Batamas to Tishabav. Another three weeks. Known formally as Bain Hamid Sadim. Is there a problem with the volume? Yeah, hold on. Testing. Still not clear? Crackling? Any better? Okay, what a little fan can do to you. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Can't talk. Is your camera? <coughs> little story circulated this week. little boy in Israel signed up for the extracurriculum class. Still can't hear? Coming in two by two. Very low? Echo? Yeah. Let me redial. I'm going to redial. Sorry if you're hearing the audio download. We had a little difficulty here, so. Okay. Israel had signed up for the remedial class. After school, we go to a special remedial tutor. Well, this tutor would help him out. She was very good with this. And she would help him out. She helped out many other children for the after school. Thank you. There's a little problem. This particular little boy was very bright and really did not need, did not require extra help. And every time the child came in and did his work and he did it very, very well, the teacher would wonder why is this child here? Why is his par- why are his parents paying extra? For this uh, educate for the extra tutoring, Boy Yang, finally one day she went to the teachers and inquired by the teachers, and the teachers said he's an A student. He's an A student. He does everything beautifully. He has hundreds and everything. So the next time the child came in to the class, she pulled him on the side and she says to him, tell me my child, why are you making your parents pay for these extra lessons? It costs them a lot of money. And and you don't need it. You're very, very bright. The child looked at his teacher with tears in his eyes and said, I have a friend in the class 
that needs this very, very much. But he's embarrassed to go because he says it's going to stigmatize him. The children will laugh at him, they'll make fun of him. So he doesn't want to go. But he needs it. So I said to him, I also need it. Come, we'll go together. So in order to get my friend to go and not to be embarrassed, that is why I come to the class. child was about 10 or 11 years old at the time. Approximately 5 or 6 years later, he was kidnapped with two friends. And a few short weeks ago, he was killed. This is one of the three boys that was recently kidnapped. This is one of his act when he was a young child we don't know who we're dealing with we don't know what special mitzvahs people do or have they shine with May the Almighty take avenge. May the Almighty avenge his blood. As we speak of avenge, of Nakama, we see in this week's Pasha, Taylor tells us, Vayidaber Hashem al The Almighty speaks to Moshe, this is chapter 31, verse 1 through 3. Take revenge against the Midianim, the Midianites, and then ultimately Moshe tells the Jewish nation about this mission, and he says, To do, to avenge the Almighty's revenge in Midian. Notice, Hashem says to Moshe, "Nikaim Nikmas b'nei Yisrael, avenge the Jews' vengeance." Whereas Moshe repeats it and tells the Jews, "We have to take the vengeance of Hashem. We have to revenge for take the revenge for Hashem." The Rebbe's father, the Blavik, who was a very, very known Kabbalist, amongst many other things, explains this, how Hashem wanted to take and to protect the honor of the Jewish nation. More than his own honor. And therefore said that Midian sinned against the Jews, never mind me. On the flip side, Moshe Rabbeinu was more concerned with the honor of God more than the honor of the Jews and therefore said it should be done in the honor of God. (coughs) The people of Midian were despicable people. They were very immoral. And therefore, we found two things, two approaches that the people of Midian attacked the Jews. One is they wanted to fight them physically and battle and kill them. And Bilaam came along and gave them an, ad- an idea to fight them with immorality. Why? Because their God hates immorality. Now therefore we understand 
the two concepts of the battle. Midian themselves wanted to kill the Jewish nation by battle. And therefore the Torah says, Nikmas b'nei Yisrael, that Hashem says, take the, revenge, the vengeance of the Jews. When it came to the immoralities against God, who is Saint Azima, who hates this, then it became a revenge for God. And therefore Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, stressed the honor of the Jews, as Midian wanted to kill them physically, in the Kaim Nikmas B'nai Yisrael, whereas Meshe Rabbeinu was undertaking the covet, the honor of God. And therefore he stresses the immoralities that they wanted to kill the Jews with. Which was against who? Against God. Not against the Jews themselves. He figured they would embarrass the Jews in God's eyes, and therefore the Jews would go under. The Pasha itself talks about many different ports, points. But the gist of the beginning of the Pasha is talks about the, the vow. A vow of a person. A person who makes a vow. Ish, kiyider, neder. A person who makes a vow. Layachel devare. But also the beginning of the Pasha tells us in chapter 30, verse 17. I quoted before 30, verse 3. A man makes a vow. He should not violate his word. And in chapter 30, verse 17, These are the commandments, this is the chukim, that God commands Moshe. Between a man and his wife, father and daughter when she's young in her household in his house we have to delve, delve into this whole concept apart from the point of hafaras nidorim nullification of the vow which is done by the man or the father mentioned of course at the beginning of this parsha. It also says Ish Nether, as we said in the beginning. Anything that comes out of his mouth, he has to do. There's an obligation. A person makes an ob- a commitment to something, he has to do it. <laughs> the story of a million seventeenth time that will tell it of the shamus that calls the rabbi in the middle of the night. Rabbi, we had a geneva. We were sh- the shul was robbed. He says, Oive, what did they take? Rabbi, they took the safe. <gasps> they took the safe. What is the damages? Rabbi, I would rest estimate about $35,000. He says, How are we going to recoup $35,000? Don't worry, Rabbi. He says, What, do you have a plan? Not really. So what should I not worry? He says, Because in the safe there was only $12 cash, the rest were pledges. So, <laughs> <laughs> it should be money, but we all know. Pledges almost sometimes go with the resolutions for New Year's, um, unfortunately. So it's very important that if you made a pledge um, in the course of the year, now is beginning the three weeks, which leads us into Chedesh El, so you should see to make up and to pay up your pledges. If you didn't make any pledges, make one now and send in the money. Okay. Address will be uh, sent later. A person needs to, therefore, going back to what we were talking about, the, the main thing is, the person must keep to what he says. So the question, if the Teda is still talking about the Chukim that I mentioned here, the laws that we are being mentioned between a man and his wife, a father and a daughter. The main din here that's talking is a person that takes and makes a vow, he has to keep his word. And that's not mentioned. When it comes to the summation 
of the laws that are mentioned here in the parsha, the beginning of the parsha, the law of the man having to keep his word is not mentioned. But the truth is, when it says Eila Hakukim, it's not a summation. It's the words that were mentioned in this parsha to teach us the ideas that have in it something new that we did not know before this father and the wife husband and a wife, father and a son father and a daughter now we understand therefore it's not mentioned about a person keeping his own promise because first of all the idea of itself of a person making a promise he has to keep it doesn't even need a separate pasuk doesn't need to be mentioned in the data. It's a simple thing. You make a promise, you do it. You have to keep it. Keep to what you're saying. Secondly, the din was already brought down in the concept of the Tera said, Midvar Sheker Tirchok. One must further themselves from the words of falseness, of falsity. How does one do that? By not lying. Where do I not lie? When I say I'm going to do something and I do it. If I say I'm going to do something, I don't do it. I'm a liar. Thirdly, this obligation is understood from the general gist of this of the swearing, which is mentioned many times in the Torah. If a person commits to bring a certain sacrifice to the Beis Hamikdash, now the fact, though, that it says Yachel Devara in the beginning of the parsha. It does say it in the Torah. So therefore we have to explain this is not coming to teach us a new din. It's an introduction to all the dinim that are about to be mentioned. It says, if the Pasuk said, It is known already, and there's many halachas, there's many laws pertaining to this. And the dinim of a woman that swears and a daughter that swears. The fact that he has to keep his promise, we know. Therefore, when it comes to Eila Chukim, which is not really a summation, but the concept of the halachas that are being brought down here, the new halachas that are brought down here, therefore it talks about only Ishta Ishta and of Lebite. But what is the word leyachel devari? Should not violate his word. It should complete it. Why is it a, a, a negative saying? It should be positive. Ishki the nether. Shiashlim nidrasei. Complete your nether. The Torah obviously here gives a very very strong weight heaviness to the spoken word when a person says something out of their mouth it's very pertinent and it's very powerful and it reflects on the ultimate goal how we serve God Rashi says on the spot here back to chapter 30 verse 3 and he explains what's the yachel devorei should not violate his word. He says le yechalel devorei. He should not profane his word. Rashi therefore puts it: a person when he says something should respect and consider holy what comes out of his mouth. So when you make a vow, it's not just a technical obligation to keep to fulfill the vow, to fulfill your verbal commitments. It's the obligation to recognize the sanctity in your words. And if you recognize the sanctity, you will not mistreat them. You'll do what you're saying. The Hebrew word Josh uses here is devorov, his words. That word devorov could also be translated his affairs. And everybody has to see to it, they keep their affairs holy. That everything they do and all their actions are kept holy, including their speech. 
Expressions are not acceptable. We know that in Tavshin Lamed Ches, in Tavshin Lamed Ches, 1978, during Simchas Teira, the Rebbe suffered a heart attack. I was not here. I was in South America. But the scene which was described later in in letters really we didn't really get phone calls that were prohibitively expensive. And then on later years as you hear the description of the people that were there, they broke out the windows and they were it was very, it was havoc. It was it was mortifying, it was petrifying. And the spirit, obviously, of everybody was very, very, very down. It's Simchas Teder, though. And the truth was that the doctors really thought that it was the end. And everybody was outside the shul. They were sitting, crying, saying, Tell him. When the mask of the secretary came out and announced that the Rebbe said that it should be with Simcha, when everybody was expecting the worst announcement possible, and to hear all of a sudden the Rebbe not only requesting, but and suggesting, but pushing the concept of happiness and joy it apparently broke a very strong barrier. And that barrier, because the chsidim were besimcha, it broke a barrier as well to give the Rebbe the refuah statement that he had at the time. We spoke already many times about Hasim Chesteda, about Shabbos Bereshis, Saturday night, Shabbos Bereshis after that, the Rebbe wanted to speak. And speaking is very strenuous, especially for a heart patient. The doctors didn't want to let, and the Rebbe said only for a minute, or for three minutes, the Rebbe spoke for a while, for another few minutes. Ultimately, after the Shkedish Kislev, the Rebbe had gone home and everything was well. We told this story as well, how by the first Fabrengen afterwards, the Rebbe had a Hasidic gathering on Shabbos. The doctor was there. The doctor sat up on the table next to the Rebbe practically and he saw all these hundreds of people sitting there he thought for sure the Rebbe would say a few words and go out much to his surprise and chagrin as we say the Rebbe started to speak and spoke for over a half hour and then the Chassidim started singing but the Rebbe, at this point the doctor saw it's not over the Rebbe is going to still keep talking So the doctor got a little shocked, and people were saying l'chayim to the Rebbe. And the doctor went over to the Rebbe to tell the Rebbe he's got to slow down. You can't fabreng like this. This is not. It's not safe. It's just downright dangerous. And the Rebbe didn't hear. Didn't hear him officially. There were a lot of people, a lot of noise, singing. The Rebbe did not. Did not acknowledge him. And he said it again. Mm-hmm. And again the Rebbe didn't acknowledge him. And a third time he told the Rebbe that if the Rebbe is not, he held the Rebbe's arm, said if the Rebbe is not going to slow down, God forbid there's a 35% chance that this could reoccur. 
And the Rebbe turned to him and said, I hear what you said. You said there's a 65% chance it's not going to occur again. And at that point, the Rebbe afterwards told the secretary that he doesn't want that doctor to treat him any longer. One of the complaints that other Chassidim worldwide, not Chabad, other Rebbes worldwide, not Chabad, had with the Rebbe, was the Rebbe never went on vacation. All the other Rebbes would go here, there, to Florida, they had a house in Florida, Arizona, wherever it might be, a, a, a place in the winter to go away for a few weeks. The Rebbe never left. The Rebbe stayed in the Dalar Amis of Crown Heights always. Except for three times that the Rebbe went to visit the summer camps. The boys camp and the girls camp, the, the Babich camps. Gan Yisrael and Camp Amuna. The first time the Rebbe notified he was coming to Gan Yisrael, there were many sleepless nights. Everybody was working their heads and hands off. And it was... <laughs> the Rebbe's coming. They took this camp dining room, which was an extra large shed, and they turned it into a, 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 a wedding hall. They decorated and they painted and they scrubbed and scraped the walls, the floors. And it was unbelievable. The beds were all washed, the linens and the beds were made, and the cubbies, and everything was made. Hoo-ha! The Rebbe should come, they should see a nice camp. They had one little hut at the end of the outskirts of camp, which was known as, I think, the captain's quarters. It was a storage hut. And all the paints, you know, you have painting in camp, they paint the dots and crafts, and here they were painting for the repairs, and all the other cans and the, the papers and the, everything that all the garbage was stored in there. And needless to say that, uh, you know, camp is camp spirit. Guys wrote their names on the walls with little smart expressions, you know, to be remembered. And the last guy out apparently had a little more of a sense of humor. He took a piece of paper and he wrote Zeichel Lechurim. And he stuck it on the door. This is a commemoration of the destruction of the temple. <laughs> okay. Needless to say, the Rebbe was going from room to room, every, including the dining room. He went to the kitchen, he went to the boiler room. The Rebbe wanted to see every nook and cranny in camp. And the Rebbe saw, noticed the hut at the end, the, out, the almost outskirts of camp, and the Rebbe marched, towards the hut <laughs> everybody's lives were in their mouths <laughs> what's going to be now the Rebbe's going to walk into that hut <coughs> the Rebbe opened the door a little bit and looked inside saw really what was going on must have noticed a few of the scribbles also mm-hmm. closed the door and looked at the sign Zeichel Echurbin that's it now they were all they all f- melted into the ground What's the Rebbe going to say about this? Finally, the Rebbe turned and smiled and said, Zeichel Lechurbin is a negative connotation. Commemoration to destruction. What is the idea of Zeichel Lechurbin? To remind us that we want the Beis Amikdash to be built. We know it was destroyed, we remember it's destroyed. By remembering it's destroyed, we obviously want it to be rebuilt. So therefore the Rebbe, the Rebbe said they should write Zeichel Migdash. It's a, to remind us about the Migdash. That now everything is in ruins and we need the Migdash built back up again. The Rebbe very, very, very strongly prompt, uh, promoted positive speaking. And this is where it comes from. The Ishki, the Nether, a person needs to know when they put down this promise. What are they promising? The Gemara actually in the Dharam tells us that the person shouldn't make promises. By making promises, you're taking on things, you're undertaking things that you don't have to go talk about soon. But the person should see to it that every word they say, every syllable they announce, pronounce, should be with God in mind 
and therefore of course would prevent profanity would prevent Lashon Hara and prevent everything else that a person can sin with their tongue the Tzor the Shein Chameda we mentioned that we started the three weeks and therefore in the three weeks we have a custom also Be'at Hashem will do towards the end of this year to learn Hilchas Beis HaBechira the laws of the Beis HaMikdash we will be learning from three different sources from the Navi Yecheskel from the Mishnayis Midais and from the Rambam in Hilchas Beis HaBechira don't worry the Shir still stays one hour um for those that started to hyperventilate. Razal tell us in Yerushalmi, for those who ever opened the Yerushalmi, the Gemaras don't go according to Amudim, they go according to Amudim, but they don't really get counted Amudim-wise, page-wise, but rather Parakim and Halachas. So if you're going to keep score at home, it's in Tainus, Peridal and Halachahe. It brings down Rashi in Yirmiya, chapter 1, Verse 12. Aleph Yud Beis. Sheyemei These days, we said before, the three weeks are called Bein HaMitzorim. Between, let's call them boundaries. Nina Mezub Mashin is Boyer B'Nevuas Yirmiya. It's a hint, it's hinted in what is written and brought down from the words of Yirmiya Anavi. We look at Yirmiya Anavi, chapter 1, verse 11, Aleph Yid Aleph, where he talks about the Churban Bayez Rishon and Golas Bovel, destruction of the first temple and the exile, the Babylonian exile. He compares it to Makil Sheked Anireye. I see a staff of almonds. Hasheked Azeh. These almonds, mishas chanitosay ad gemar bishulei, from when they sprout until when they are finished, esrim veechod yoyim. It is twenty-one days for almonds to ripen, from when they begin to sprout until they're ripe, it's twenty-one days. Keminyan yomim shvein shiva sebetamuz. Asa exactly the amount of days between the seventeenth day of Tammuz, Shibayhuvkaer, which is the day that the temple that the city was sieged, the Tishabov to the ninth day of Shibay Nisrafabayas that the temple was destroyed. Simply speaking, he's telling us that the time that it takes Vishkadim for almonds to ri- to ripen are hinted in this day, in this era of the Ben Hamitzarim, the 21 days. They're both equal 21. But we know that something that talks about Teda has to be more precise. There has to be something more to it, more substantiality, than just the coincidental 21 number. The Mishnah if you're keeping score at home, it's Mishachtas and Maisris. Pedic Aleph, Mishnah Dalit. First Pedic in Maisris, the fourth Mishnah. And he tells us there are two types of almonds. There are bitter almonds, and there are sweet almonds. Almonds that are bitter are very sweet when they are small. When they start to go to grow. When they get ripened, they become bitter. Almonds that are sweet are the opposite. When they're small, they're bitter, and then they become when they're fully ripened, they become sweet. The Rebbe had a teacher, the Ragachava. The Ragachava, the Rebbe quotes very, very often. And the Rebbe says the Ragachava says, he wrote the Sefer amongst many Safe of Tzafnas Paneach. The main concept of almonds is the large sweet ones. That's what people look for. The ones that are small and sweet are not called Shkedim, they're called Luzim. 
They have a different name to them in the Torah. So when you refer to shkedim almonds, you refer to the large ones that are sweet. What happened? What transpired with this almond? As we said before, it started out bitter and became sweet. Another concept in this prophecy, I'm sorry, for that. And the reason that this hints between the days of Shivas and Tishbav, and it's compared to the Makil Sheked, the staff of almonds. Because in these days we look to nullify the bitterness of these days to turn them around. To, like the Rambam says, the end of Hilchas Tainis, when it comes to any fast day, that the Osad Lovay in the future, the Hafcham, to reverse them, the Yamim Tevim Vimeisosli Vesimcha. To turn them over to these days should become good, happy, joyful days. Chetmunas Mimirosam, to turn them over from bitterness, Yahafayamim Lemesukim Vesmechim, to turn them over to sweet and happiness. And this is therefore why it be compared to the Sheket, to the almond. Another concept, and this we're going to compare also, this Nevoah of Sheket, of, of Mata Sheket, the staff of Sheket, and the three weeks, and our Pasha of Pasha's Matois, The concept of the Makal Shekel, as we said, the quickness in which it becomes a fruit. Why does the Novi therefore use this as an analogy? Because he saw a staff on a tree growing Shkaden. So a staff itself, without any leaves, without any fruits, without any kind of blossoms, is not what he was looking for, not what he was thinking about. This is not what he was shown. So now, based on what we just said, that Sheked, we say, is from the reason that he saw the staff, Davke, is a hint, as we mentioned before, that the hint by Shkedim, the reversing from bitter to sweet. This has Dafke a concept of the Makil. Chassidus explains in many places there are two names for a stick. Shevet and Mate. We also find similarly the Jewish nation were Shvotim or Matois. Shevet is a staff soft with leaves, with trees, with blossoms. And it's still nurturing from this tree. It's still attached. Mata, on the other hand, is a staff cut off the tree. It's ashteken. It's dried up. It lost its moisture. And it becomes hard. becomes stiff. Samate. The service that we serve God with. A Jew could be a shavit, which hints to a Jew that's attached to its source, being God Almighty. In the time of the Beis Hamikdash, standing, and the Jews were in the land, in the Holy Land, we were tortured, and we are tortured today. We cannot go up and see you and bow down to you. At that time, the Jews were known to be attached to God. They were called Shavit. Masheikin today, Mate talks about the Jew in Golos, in exile. 
you don't see necessarily his attachment. As David Melech refers to. The world, the hell, the world is the concept of Elam. The word Elam comes from Elamis Vestadim. Elamis Vestadim. Hidden. Things that hold us back from serving God properly. At that point, though, we shine more than any other time. We overcome obstacles. And we battle those that are going against us. Until we come to the ultimate service and we turn over the bitterness to sweetness. So too the neshama in the body. When the neshama, the holy soul, is by God, it only nurtures from godliness. It's in the highest of levels, highest of realm. When it comes severed from there, but it's not necessarily fully severed, but it's placed into a body, at that point it has its work cut out, as we say. And it's hidden. We don't see the glory of the actual neshama. This is therefore the prophecy of the makil that Jeremiah is talking about. It's considered a mate in order to turn over the bitterness to sweetness. Which is what all washkedim are all about. We know, of course, the Shalak Kodesh says the three parshas, the three Torah portions, Matis, Masai, and Devarim, are always in the three weeks. They're always between Shavasavatamuz and Tishabav. And the proof is because Veschanon is Shabbos Nachmu, which is the Shabbos after Tishabav. So the other three have to be in between. What is the connection between these parishes? So according to what we just said now, we have a clear hint with Matis, the concept of Bein in between these three weeks. The Matis is considered a makel, a stick of Sheket. And the concept, the idea of the makel, the Sheket and the Matis, which takes this full strength and effort in this time of unhappiness, in this time of pain, of un- un- discomforts. And we find three different things in Pashmatis. In Pashmatis, we find, as we spoke about in the Dharm, the vows. We spoke about the war of Midian, we did not speak about yet. The battle with Midian, we did speak about the revenge against Midian and ultimately the story of B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain which is towards the end of the parasha B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain present a very interesting case to Moshe and they say we don't want to enter Israel give us the land over here Midian <laughs> when the Miraglim said that we, was punished, we were punished 40 years in the desert here, B'nai God and B'nai Ruben ask for it, Moshe says, okay. And not only that, he tells half of Shevet Menashe, you can join. So we have this very strange phenomenon, anomaly of a story as well. Let us take one at a time, the Nedarim, the vows. The Chazal tell us, when it comes to vows, it's a contradiction one to the other. In Mishnah Pirkei Aves, if you're keeping score at home, it's the third Pedic, the 13th Mishnah. Mesechtes Aves, Pirkei Aves, which we say now, it says, Nidorim Siyog Leprishus. Vows are a gateway, a, a gate to help you separate which makes a positive twist on a nether. It's a good thing. If you vow not to eat something, vow not to do something, it's a good thing. However, in Yerushalmi, again, if you're going to keep scoring the Dorim, 
Perik Tes Halacha Aleph. Someone fell asleep. Perik Tes Halacha Aleph. Reading here. It's brought down. Leidaycha Masha Osra Lechotera. Elishat Mevakesh Nesra Lechad Varam Achedim. It's not enough. The, all the other, all the restrictions that Torah already gave us. You're going to now ask for more. You want to cause more restrictions. So it's a negative twist. The concept of making a vow is negative. But truthfully, it's talking about the two different types of people. In the beginning, it's talking about the service that a person has. He has to be careful to extra stringent sometimes with certain things in the world person should not be totally enveloped in the physical world and therefore you have to have a little bit of precious from the world a little bit of separation that's the mission says indulgence is not healthy Indulgence. We're not talking about not to eat food. Yes, you need to eat food. But the food that you're going to eat should be in a certain way. So that you don't totally indulge, you don't throw yourself totally into the food, you don't become the food. You eat the food because your body needs to have the food to sustain yourself. Once the person, though, elevates his service, and he brings out the light of the spirituality, the Kedusha, so that he can ultimately elevate and purify everything, the physical things that are in the world, that's the job of the person in the world. And therefore, when it says, when it comes to a nether, when it comes to a person making a vow this talks about a person that's starting and in the middle of his aveda of his service to God and therefore he still needs to know his boundaries when it comes to the world but what is the ultimate goal of a nether, of a vow we learn the concept of a foras a nether the father, the husband, nullifies the vow that is made. Or hatoras nidorim, made through a chokom or through a bezin, as you do at every with ten people. Although the person is fit to make a vow, to separate themselves from worldly things, I can elevate things. We still come and we nullify this and we allow them to still indulge. This is therefore the connection Nidorim to Matis. Because the whole point of making a nether is ultimately hafarosam. To be able to override them so that the person can limit themselves but yet not have to fall into it and this ultimately light brings light into the world brings light into the darkness of the mundane world when we come to refer to the Mechemes Midian the battle of Midian the whole lengthy discussion that comes through the Pasha doesn't talk about the actual battle it talks about the spoil that the Jews go to try to take from Egypt. To purify, to make it kosher, all the valuables of Midian. And the division of all this spoil, the tax that was given to God, the elevating this mundane gold, silver that was used for Abed Zarrachman. And this is therefore the Tachlis Ashlemis. This is what the whole idea of this battle with Muhammad's Midian is. Not only to nullify the impurity of Midian, wow, 
but to turn over the bitterness to sweetness. To take Midian and make it something valuable. So much so, that you're taking the spoil and donating it to God. You're giving it to Tzedakah. Now let us analyze the words and the actions of Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain and a very interesting response that Moshe Rabbeinu has to Bnei God and to Bnei Ruvain. It was known that the Jews were going to cross over the Yardin, go into Israel and fight to conquer the land. Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain said, we want to stay here. So Moshe says, Chapter 32, verse 6. Your brothers are going to go to battle and you're going to sit here on your hands? <laughs> you don't want to battle with Canaan? And this is also spiritually speaking. The reason B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain wanted to stay on this side of the Yardin because it was Eretz Mikne. There was good pasture. They wanted to become shepherds. Shepherds that work with their, with their flock. What does a shepherd do? shepherd sits in the fields and he meditates famous songs of shepherds, etc. Doesn't want to involve himself with the actual worldly actions. He wants to be totally connected with God. So this separation that he wanted from the they wanted, but I got the wanted from the world, this is what Mesha was ex- 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 screaming about. Your main aveda, your main service is that a person has to come and battle with the physical essence of the world. And a person needs to elevate, to purify the essence of the world. And therefore he makes with them a deal. Imtasun es hadavar then This is in chapter 32 between verse 20 and 22. You of the building of the Sikhan and Aig, the cities of Sichan and Oig, where God and Ruvain situated themselves. As we see in chapter 32, verse 34 on. They were Musabes Shom. They totally settled there. Because the cities at the time were all totally enveloped with idol worship. B'nai Ruvain they turned over their names they totally eradicated the names they totally lit up they turned over the darkness to lightness the sweet, the bitterness to sweetness so once again we have a connection of this Parsha in the three weeks teaching us that the Tachlis of our these days that we have to do is to turn over the bitterness to sweetness and Yomim Tevim Turning now to Hilchas Beis Habechida. The Navi Yecheskel has a shocking experience. It's not every day that you go on a journey without a plane hundreds of miles away from where you're standing. And here we learn in Yecheskel chapter 40 verse 1 and 2 at the end of 1 
The hand of God came to me, lifted me up, and brought me there. To this place. To this mountaintop. But he says, It was a spiritual vision. A godly vision. And he brought me to Eretz Yisrael. He placed me on this high mountain where the construction of the building was. And he describes his tour guide as a person that looked like a man of copper. Ishnecheshes. Kimari Necheshes. And he says in verse 4, chapter 40 again, verse 4, Vayedaberilai, and this is extremely, extremely pertinent to all of us. Vayedaberilai Ish ben Odom. The man said, Ben Odom, my dear man. He didn't say Yecheskel, because this message is to Ben Odom to each and every person. Re'ei be'inecha, see with your eyes. Uvaz necha shema and hear with your ears. V'sim libcha and take it to heart. L'cholash and imara esach. All I'm going to show you. Why? Kileman hara eschem uvasa heina. Because in order to show it to you, I brought you here. I didn't leave you at home and send you a postcard, but I brought you here to see it physically. Why do I need you to do this? Tell this all to the Jews. The Jews were in exile. Very depressed. Very dejected. Very down. And the Almighty decided to show the temple, the third temple actually, to the Novi Yechezkel, to the Prophet, but not just that Yechezkel should put it in his document, in his chronicle, and leave it there, so one day somebody will find this scroll in the Dead Sea somewhere. But he gave a message, Ben Adam, each and every person, you have an obligation to go out there and tell your fellow man and woman that there is a third temple and it's waiting to be built, and we are standing on the precipice we are waiting for the very moment that we will merit for the construction for the rebuilding of the Holy Temple thereby giving hope thereby giving strength to the people giving again that feeling knowing that yes it's going to happen yes we're going to go in yes we're going to once again join Hashem in His Holy Temple Mishnayis Midois tells us there were 24 guard points guard posts three of them were kept by Kahanim and 21 by Levian 24 in total but a very interesting story is told in the Mishnah the supervisor he walked around with a big shirt that said supervisor with a big sin on it he was called Ish Harabais. In the evening he would go around and check on all the shifts. This is Pedic Aleph Midois Mishnah Beis. Vavuk is telling the front of him. There were torches going in front of him. Anyone who didn't stand up, any one of the guards that didn't stand up, Ish Harabais. The Yisharabayas would tell him, Shalom Alecha, peace to you. He didn't stand up, so the Arabai, the man would say to him, the supervisor said, hello, Shalom. He didn't answer. Nikar was recognizable, Shuhiyishan. He was sleeping. What do they do? They beat him with a stick. And this Isha Rabbis had permission to light this man's garments on fire. And all of a sudden you would hear people 
on the outside of Harabais would hear screaming, and the people would say, What's going on in the Azara? Why is someone screaming? And everybody knew. Kail Ben Levi Leike. It's the voice of a Ben Levi getting beaten up, but because of the Srafim his clothes being burnt. Because Shiishin al Mishmarai. He slept on his post. We may not sleep on our post, Rabbi Sai. <laughs> we can sleep in the middle of a shear, but we can't sleep on our post. We are all on our posts. We are all in our position now. We are guarding our mouths, as we say, by Nidorim from Lashon Hara and from everything else. We are guarding our minds from thinking, God forbid, extraneous outside thoughts. And therefore we cannot sleep on our post because we don't want our garments set on fire. And the Rambam himself finishes off. We're finishing off with the Rambam who notes, notes three mitzvahs Mitzah say to make a bias Lashem so that Karbonas can be brought. We can come three times a year there. As it says, and this is the obligation that each and one of, uh, one of us have to make ourselves our, a temple. We should become a temple. Our body is a temple. Our mind is a temple so that the Almighty should dwell amongst us and thereby we will merit to the ultimate redemption to the Geula Amitnes Vashleima this very Shabbos and as we say Yehovchu Yomim Eilu L'Sosin L'Simcha they should be turned over to happiness joys and joyous days and from bitterness to sweetness Shabbat Shalom to all